Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Preacher Boys Podcast. This episode's a little bit different. I'm actually taking a recording of the live interview I did with Jonathan over at Stop Pastoral Abuse. Stop Pastoral Abuse is a Facebook page and a YouTube channel that exposes stories of abuse within church settings. And uh, Jonathan has really made an emphasis in the last couple weeks and months on the IFB movement. And so he asked me if I would join him for a live video on Facebook. It was incredibly nerve wracking uh, doing a live video. That's not really uh, my forte, but I think the interview went really well. And so I just wanted to take that audio and share it with you guys. so You could take a listen. Uh, when you get done, be sure to check out uh, Jonathan's page. Uh, it's stop pastoral abuse on Facebook and on YouTube. And uh, I think you guys will really appreciate the content over there. Now, uh, in the interview, I talk a little bit about why I'm doing the documentary, uh, my emotions uh, regarding the IFB, um, some of the backlash that I have had and expect to have. Uh, we talk a little bit about what will happen if there is a lawsuit of any kind and uh, really just cover quite a few interesting topics. He has some really good questions. And I'm excited for you guys to listen. So without any further ado, here is a recording of my interview with Stop Pastoral Abuse and Jonathan over there. So check it out. I hope you guys enjoy it. All right. We got Eric here. Let's bring him in. So I'm just going to give you a quick little introduction here. So Eric Sorensky has spent the last seven years. He's been uh, fulfilling various media production roles, including a, a videographer, photographer, writer, and graphic designer. Um, his work's taken to over 20 different states, 13 different countries, and has included a documentary film, an eight-episode miniseries, and several commercials. Um, right now, he is actually running a business from home, helping uh, influencers, coaches, uh, and business owners expand their reach by providing high-quality podcast production service, a service that is actually rapidly growing to meet the demand. Um, Eric is also really passionate about um, 
raising awareness for the mental, uh, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent Baptist churches, and is currently producing a documentary on the subject. Uh, his company and podcast, Preacher Boys, and I've shared a few things on the page here um, from him uh, that has been extremely helpful. Um, we, he actually launched that just in January of 2020, so just this year, and he's already gotten 60,000 downloads of listeners from the United States, Canada, and several places around the world. So let's bring him on. Here is Eric. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Yeah, it's good to be good to be with you and uh, to talk about this. And um, yeah, I mean the the show's been uh, going now since January, so it's been really really good so far. I've, I've been listening to a lot of the uh, the, the podcasts um, in, in preparation for our interview here, and as well as prior to it. Um, and you've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of people that have reached out to you, and a lot of right. people that seem concerned. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the the bittersweet thing. I was talking to a guest yesterday. Um, it's exciting that there's that many people jumping on um, and listening to the show and engaging with it. But it's also a little bit um, sad, too, because it shows that it's relevant to so many different people. Um, and so it can be a little bit discouraging uh, knowing that there's so many people who can connect with the message there and who – um, identify with some of these stories of abuse that are happening. Um, but on the other hand, it's also really exciting because there's a lot of people reaching out who um, have seen the abuse happening. They've seen um, the way that these things are being covered up and they see an opportunity to share their stories in a safe way and in a way that's um, accepted by people. And uh, so that's a, that's been a really encouraging uh, thing to see. Absolutely. So, um, so what is your mission? I know we, we talked a little bit about the Preacher Boy podcast um, that we that you launched in uh, January. Um, so, what? Tell me a little bit about your mission um, and what? How did you become involved in in the advocacy for those victims? Um, I mean, really, it was just a matter of um, I didn't see anyone else doing it. Um, and I had seen, I mean, obviously there's been little bursts of uh, really great information that's been done. Um, I think of the reporting with Sarah Smith and her team uh, through the Star-Telegram. Uh, there's been there's been good articles throughout, um, but, you know, that's not their full-time job. That's, a, that's one big story that they're covering, and it's not something that's going to be, you know, there's not the time, resources, or the, um, I guess, you know, personal connection to keep that story as a, as a forefront thing that it wouldn't make sense. Um, and so I, it just, you know, I've been out of the movement for about seven years now and I essentially got to the point where I thought, Hey, if, if somebody's going to do it, it might as well be me. Um, and I, I, it really, I mean, it's, it's not really a very inspiring story. It was just me looking around saying, I don't see anyone doing this and I may as well jump in and start doing it myself. Um, I, I wish I would have done it first because <laughs> I was I was really sitting on it's a lot to take on, um, but it's you know it just seemed to make sense uh, once it once it started falling into place. Most definitely, um, those kind of things, and I mean it's been twelve years since I've left the movement myself, um, and it's still and I think I've gotten past a lot of the the mental things that have happened. Uh, but it's still there's always that lingering after effect. Um, and when I got to that point of, you know, acceptance of this is where I'm at and I'm, I'm happy where I'm at, 
I started looking back at those things and, you know, I have had personal friends who had horrible experiences and then, you know, other people have had those horrible experiences as well. And I started a Facebook page and all of a sudden I had a huge following and I was like, well, let's, let's use this platform to bring some awareness. Right. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's, um, the first thing that I put out, um, because I've, my background is video. So like the, the initial goal was just to do a documentary. So I posted a little teaser and was like, you know, thinking, Hey, this will start building a little bit of momentum. Maybe by the end of the year, I'll have a couple people, a couple hundred people that are interested in watching something like this. And that would be fine. And I put out the teaser and it was like 1.5 thousand views by the next day with no advertising or sharing really. And I was like, okay, so there's something here. And then my inbox started blowing up. And so I had, you know, you know, dozens to start reaching out and saying, I have a story, I have a story. And um, essentially what led to the podcast and the podcast was kind of an afterthought um, after doing that was I, I realized that I want, all of my whole initial reason for doing this was that survivor stories need to be told. And so when I noticed that um, there were more stories than could possibly fit into an hour and a half documentary, um, I thought about starting on the side of the documentary, this podcast, which essentially would give anybody and everybody who has a story of mental, physical um, or sexual abuse within the IFB movement to have a platform. Um, even if, you know, they wouldn't fit the narrative flow of a documentary, um, it gives them a chance to tell their unaltered story from their perspective um, straight through. And so um, I think we've done about 20, maybe 29 episodes um, now. And there's just been tons of those stories that have just uh, risen to the top. And um, there's been, I mean, I've gotten some experts on, I just interviewed someone uh, yesterday who's an expert in uh, male sexual abuse specifically has written a book there. Um, so it's really just kind of evolved and become something a lot bigger than what I initially intended. Um, and ultimately with that goal is still moving forward the documentary, but I think there's a lot that can be done in the meantime. And then even after the fact with that. Oh, most definitely. Uh, so, um, I know that you talked about you were doing a documentary. Uh, did you want to say anything about that? Yeah, I mean, well, right now, obviously, everything's on hold with that as far as the, right. the filming and everything. Um, but it's actually been kind of a good thing because it's given me a chance to really think through, um, you know, it is a big topic to fit into a short time frame. Uh, so it's given me a lot of chance to think through uh, the way that I want to structure it and things like that. And so, um, you know, obviously with there's, it's, it's all, like I said, it's all kind of evolved and, and this year has been a really interesting year, um, within the IFB, uh, specifically with the lawsuit against Tiles Anderson that put a big pivot in a lot of the nature of the documentary because, um, originally the documentary was going to be how's an organization like this stood for so long without any major, you know, lawsuit or things like that. And it's, you know, now there is one. So that throws a wrench into the, the plan in a good way. Um, right. Then you have uh, Faith Baptist of Wildemar, where you see one of the most consistent cases of, you know, consistent abuse uh, within that church and consistent cover-ups by a church. So there's a lot of things there that, you know, I want to dive into. Um, essentially, the the way that the documentary is going to work, because I've had people ask, you know, how are you going to fit all this? You could do a mini series, you could do this. The goal with this documentary is not to tell every story. It's 
to create a basic um, overview of what abuse in the IP looks like and why the IFB, like why focus in on that. And so um, we've gotten a lot of test cases this year with, you know, with what's happened with Hiles, what's happened with Faith Baptist and with Golden State being connected. There's a lot of interconnectivity that's revealed itself. Um, and so right now, the way I'm looking at structuring it, and I haven't talked about this at all, but I guess I will, is I want to basically dig into essentially dig into the the genesis of the movement where it started how it spread out and how it's maintained those ties to each other to each organization and there's key players in that um and i'll save some of this for the documentary but you know when you have organizations like the christian law association and david gibbs you know when you're saying all these churches are independent but they're using the same lawyer to cover up all the same crimes over and over and over again um it, it essentially, the, the way I explain it is it's essentially like you have the mob families that are spread out. So you have your main, um, you have your main churches. So you have your First Baptist of Hammond, you have um, North Valley Baptist Church, and you have all these, you know, excuse the terminology, like crime bosses that oversee these organizations. And then you have these kind of lower level henchmen that get passed around from organization to organization. And then you have a fixer in David Gibbs and the Christian Law Association. And so um, in the documentary, I just really want to show how that's been happening for decades, how it's not isolated incidents, and um, how this has become something of a, uh, of a strategic um, kind of operation that's, that's been happening. That's a wonderful thing to have. Um, there's a lot of documentary out there that I'm aware of that's like that. I know that, like yeah. you referenced the Dallas Star Times, they have that one story, but that's not going to be an ongoing thing they can get paid to do, unfortunately. Right, right. Um, exactly. So uh, you said 29 episodes about. Um, so in all of that, what would you say um, – is some lessons or some wisdom that you've gained from survivors or the, the actual professionals that you've interviewed as well. What would be some key insights there? Um, I mean, really the, the biggest thing, and I kind of mentioned this earlier is, you know, it's been a, it's been a matter of um, just noticing similarities between everything. And so um, you kind of get a, um, you kind of sense that all these cases, though they may be different organizations, different players, different people involved, the overall um, experience of the victims has been pretty similar. And um, even more so than that, I would say one of the biggest and special things about the show has been the the amount of stories that are under the surface, stories where people were victimized, you know, several years ago and didn't come forward or as a child and didn't come forward. And the most encouraging and inspiring thing to me is whenever an episode does go out, um, I'll get hit with, you know, four or five different messages saying that story is exactly my story. And I've never shared my story before, but hearing that there's someone else who went through the same thing, um, allowed me to share my story with my husband for the first time or my wife for the first time or with my parents for the first time. And so, I mean, really, there's so many lessons that have been learned, but I would say the main thing is that speaking out does help. Um, and that sounds cliche or, or oversimplified, but it really is. It's, it's a thing of, you know, 
just me being a nobody in that world. Nobody, I'm, I'm not a former pastor. I'm not a trained psychologist. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a police officer. I'm just a guy with a microphone and, you know, a, a website. And, you know, I'm having people reach out and say literally like, oh, this show changed my life because I heard someone's story. And I don't take the credit for that. That's literally from hearing someone's story that's changed their life. It's literally from hearing someone who says, you know, hey, I was assaulted as a, as a child. I was a pastor's wife in an abusive relationship. And, you know, everyone thinks, you know, everyone thinks they're in that vacuum. Um, but when people start speaking out and sharing, it, it destigmatizes that idea of saying, hey, I was an abuse victim. I was a survivor. Um, what happened to me wasn't okay. It wasn't my fault. And together we can support each other and advocate for those who are still in these situations and, and make advances and moves in a positive direction. See what I see. And could I say that they're covering for them? Sure. Could I say that? Um, yeah, I could make that assumption. Or I could also say, this guy's really good at what he does. This guy's really good at posing to be someone who is safe, someone who is a man of God, so to speak, someone who is a um, moral and upright person. Um, the, the truth is, if Jack Hiles was a was a you know not good at what he did, he would have had an empty church within the first couple of weeks. Right. But he, but he built one of the largest, I mean, the largest Sunday school in America for quite a few decades, and so. Um, you know, you have to look at that. And that's where you start getting the conversation of cult and, you know, all that kind of thing. And um, you really do have to look at every case differently and just say, what are the odds that people knew? Was it the case of most abuse cases where, you know, that one person was really targeted and he was an angel to everybody else? And more often than not, you'll find that people are just shocked. Um, <laughs> you know, they're just shocked. You by never know. Case. Right. So, you know, that's, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, even growing up, the things that I witnessed, you know, everything was always swept under the rug. And I guess the sheltered life that we lived um, really played a part into us either not knowing or being completely oblivious to the situation. Um, and then, you know, growing up and looking back, you're like, holy crap, how did I, how did I put up right. with that? Right. Well, um, I mean, I was I was about 17 when I first found out, and it was because I looked somebody up that I knew. Um, it was the first time that I ever, you know, found out about an abuse case within the IFB. And I remember my thought being like, oh, I can't believe this happened at a church. And that was my, like at 17, that was my ignorance to the fact that this stuff does happen in churches. And, you know, yeah, it happens everywhere. And so... Um, you know, it really is like, it's, it's pretty shocking when you do. And that's part of the podcast as well Is like, I'm hoping there's people listening who aren't aware that this is even a thing and who put their kids in the nursery without thinking twice and who trust their kid to go out with the youth pastor without thinking about it. And so, um, yeah, it, like I said, when you're in that, you know, and you mentioned this, like when you're in that kind of closed mindset of I'm in a safe religious bubble, and the world outside me is evil, and that's what's preached all the time. The world outside is evil. Then, when you find out that there's evil within, it rattles your entire belief system. Because how could the person that's been giving me spiritual guidance for 20 years be connected to this? And um, 
that's a that's a pretty shocking revelation to to have. They're you know the big names that you've either a right. you know looked up to your whole growing up life or in or have even been your pastor yourself. So right, that's a huge shock. Right, and a lot of people even lost their faith, or you know, and some yeah. people still have their faith, but mm-hmm. a lot of pe- it just ruins people's lives and their spirituality. And I know I'm more lucky than most in the fact that I didn't have any kind of physical abuse. Um, yeah. Just the environment. I know your one of your recent pod- podcasts you were talking about um, uh, Commonwealth Baptist College uh, with Jeff Fugit, um, yeah. and. Um, he preached at our church constantly growing up. Yeah. We, uh, we went to his church. We sent people to his to his college. You know, yeah. that was once the house fall, that was one of the options. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a it's pretty crazy. Like it's it's, and it's one of those things where like when you're you know when you're literally finding guys whose names are on these colleges that you've been told to to consider attending, and you're like, oh. Bob Jones was like super racist until 2002 and um, you know, Hiles Anderson, that one of the guys whose name is on the college, Jack Hiles was like having an affair with the lady that sex sat next to his wife in a, uh, in the choir. Like it's, it's a pretty insane thing to start unpacking. And it, it is, I mean, everybody mentions the movie spotlight and, and the book as well. Um, and in the movie, there's a scene and I've talked about this on other shows before, but um, there's a scene where they go down and they're looking at the records of the Catholic church and they're seeing all these pastors or priests on sick leave and being relocated to different parishes. And they're going, wait, this is when this abuse case happened and they got moved here. And it, I really have felt like that several times where I start digging through and I'm like, okay, David Hiles moved here this date. Oh, this is when this happened. And, you know, it's a really, it's just a really bizarre set of circumstances and the amount of, it would be disingenuous to say that there hasn't been a structured and organizational attempt to conceal abuse like that. That's where I'm at on it. We can discuss cult versus not cult. And, you know, are there some good or some bad and, you know, all those things people like to run around and and discuss, but at the end of the day, you can't deny that there is a consistent problem with structural systematic abuse within the IFB. Absolutely. So whenever you've interviewed these people, I know we kind of talked about, you know, what you've learned um, and things like that. What's the prevalent theme that the independent Baptist uh, community, what's a prevalent thing that you see that these survivors talk about? Um, biggest things would be um, the hyper amounts of control. Um, that's probably the most consistent thing that um, I see discussed and talked about. Um, you know, they wanted to control everything I wore, everything I watched everything that I read. Um, so there was a, a large amount of uh, overreach and control. Um, the other thing is generally, um, you know, if they're a victim, it's usually, um, why didn't anybody notice this was weird? I didn't notice it because I was young, but nobody else ever noticed that it was weird that a youth pastor was meeting behind closed doors or nobody noticed this. And, um, and then the other thing that I notice consistently with people who are out of it, there's almost a sense, and I, and I, I used to struggle with this quite a bit. I don't so much now because I've kind of worked through that, but um, there's also sometimes a sense of guilt um, on the side of, you know, not 
I would, I don't want to say blaming oneself, but I would say there's a lot of people who think, oh, I don't realize this, or I didn't realize that something was off, or I, um, I get, get messages all the time. I can't believe I used to sit under preaching like this and didn't notice something was wrong. And you know what? Like, I can't either. I can't believe that I sat through that stuff, but you have to understand, again, it goes to that charismatic kind of cult leader persona of, you know, when you're totally bought into any kind of belief system, when you're completely bought in to this is the only true way to be a upright, moral, spiritual person, then it gives you this sense of a ridiculous sense of community within the the church that you're attending. It gives you a ridiculous sense of ego and self-confidence because you're the one with the answer and everybody else is, you know, demonically influenced to, to oppose you. And when you're taught from a young age that the man behind the pulpit is the voice of God, he's the man, they use the term, the man of God, you're, you're going to believe some weird things, especially if that's something that you're, you know, being taught from, you know, the nursery, like Jack Hiles would give the kids, um, the, what the bibs in the nursery said, I love my pastor. Like it starts really, really early. Um, and it's indoctrination. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Indoctrination is the right term. And again, there's people that would argue, you know, don't call it a cult. Don't call it this. Um, the best way I've heard it explained, not to go on a rabbit trail, but but uh, someone tweeted tweeted to me uh, in response to a poll where I asked, you know, hey, just generally to my audience of like 900 people or whatever on Twitter, you guys listen to the show, you know, what do you guys think about um, the IFB? Would you describe it as a cult? And the poll was like 70% yes, like 30% no, and like a couple undecided. I, I may be totally wrong on all that. Even my Twitter followers, I don't know all the numbers for all that. Um, but um, essentially, out of like 970 votes, the majority said yes, it is a cult, or an overwhelming majority. Um, but someone tweeted back and said the IFB movement itself is a cult, but not all churches within, not all independent churches are cults. And I think that's kind of where I sit, and he just said it much better than me in 140 characters. Um, you know, essentially it comes down to, you know, any any if you're a part of any organization or any kind of grouping or denomination or whatever you want to call it, where you have allegiance and loyalty to one man or to one group of men in in with no regard for anybody else outside of them. And you take their word as law, like that's very cultish. If you if you leave that environment and you're shunned, that's cultish. Like I encourage anybody listening to this to to just look up uh, freedom of mind and Stephen Hassan's work and all of the ways that he uses to determine if an organization is a cult. Um, it's called the bite model, and uh, you can you can find that really easily with a Google search. But the IFB movement checks all the boxes of a cult, like every single box, like down the line. But there are churches that are Baptistic in their belief that are independent and truly don't care if, you know, Jack Hiles would approve of what they do or if, um, you know, uh, Jack Treber would, would be accepting of what they do. They care about, you know, what they believe God would accept them to do, and they care about their people. They care about actually helping and encouraging people and not checking the boxes of, you know, what would, you know, WWJHD, what would Jack Kyles do or what would um, Paul Chapel do or, you know, any of these guys. Um, it's, it's more 
focused on the people and on their religious beliefs, which, you know, I'm still a believer. I still think there's a place for religion. I still think that there are some, you know, there's an independent Baptist church out of Kentucky I talked about on an episode. I said they're they're genuinely a, a good good people really believe what they are teaching and they're genuinely trying to help people and they're super isolated from the movement they're not they're not connected and worried about you know will tony hudson come in and preach still if we do this like they're worried about what's going to be most helpful to our people and um another one in fresno i have people sprinkled throughout but they're the ones that are actually independent i think within the movement saying they're independent is a bit of a misnomer. It's, 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 it's the name is kind of a lie in itself. You know, it's we're independent, but we share all the same staff colleges and speakers uh, and textbooks and Bibles and, you know, all that. So, and we got the same conferences and, you right. know, we all, lot yeah. times we all get together with the same people at four different conferences. <laughs> right. Yeah. My, my favorite thing that I see is when I see a video for like awake America and they tout it as like, this is the largest gathering of independent Baptists. And I'm like, a gathering of independent Baptists. That's interesting. That's an interesting way to, to phrase it. But it's like, is that a, uh, is, is that a cult? <laughs> right, right. So, but, but yeah, I was, I was going through your page and I was looking at some of your reviews here. I'm just going to pull it up here on the screen. Okay. Oh, gotcha. uh, so, well. Oh, you picked, a, you picked a positive one. So that's good. But, uh, but yeah, this is the kind of feedback that I'm getting pretty regularly is, you know, I was in it for this long. My experience wasn't that bad, but I knew someone who was, or my experience was as bad. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm able to now process, uh, the experience that I had or, um, you know, or people who are totally unaware completely. Um, it's, it's been a mix, but the majority I've been surprised have been actually pretty positive, which has been encouraging. Uh, and yeah, definitely, definitely. If you guys haven't left a review, you know, go ahead and <laughs> go ahead and do that. Uh, you know, but good reviews but, uh, are always always fantastic. <laughs> the bad, the I'll be honest, the bad reviews can be fun too. Um, you know, sure. it's it, but uh, I prefer the, you the can't good be ones, in but, this without ruffling a few feathers. Exactly. Uh, it, it, that's one thing that's been surprising to me. Um, and I'm kind. I mean, on one hand, I'm kind of glad because my biggest fear going into it was like, oh, I don't want to get blasted by people 24-7, you know, personally blasted by IFB pastors. But they really haven't I, – I don't know the reasoning, but there really hasn't been a ton of backlash about what I'm doing. But the optimist to me says um, I'm not hearing anything because they're like, you know – they're supportive of what I'm doing as far as calling out abuse, the pessimistic or um, kind of the other side of me is saying like, they're trying not to bring any more attention to what's happening uh, by not saying anything about it. So what's happened? I, I mean, obviously the show's like just crossed like almost 60,000 downloads, like 50, it's right there. It's like 57 or 58,000 now. And I think the more the audience grows, I think the more, negative um, feedback I'll start getting. And especially when there's a documentary out with specific people, that's going to probably lead to some, uh, some bigger issues as far as uh, people reaching out and worried about legacy and things like that. So. Well, yeah, that's true. At any time, anytime that happens, uh, I had a lady uh, message me on Facebook, tell me I was going to get a, uh, a, a, some sort of legal charge for slander. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, I have the facts backed up 
ahead of time. I'm not going to put it out there unless I know it's the truth. Right. And so I think that's where a lot of people, um, and I think that's maybe why they might be so silent is because they know we're speaking the truth. And, you know, Christian Law Association, David Gibbs, their first thing is, hey, we just don't talk about it. It's right. not there. And right. then, especially once it's past the statute of limitations. Yeah, that, that's the hard thing is like, so there have been cases on my show where it is past statute of limitations and, and so on. But, um, you know, I have talked to, to lawyers. I have gotten, you know, I've made sure that I'm doing things in a way where if it did go to a legal situation or I did end up in court, fingers crossed, um, if I do end up in a situation like that, um, you know, I think I do have a solid defense. Now, as far as like, you know, all the pain and headache of court, you know, that's going to be dealt with no matter what, no matter how much good information I have. But, um, you know, I really don't think it's, again, knock on wood, I don't think it's going to end up at that place. But on the other hand, too, I am, in a sense, threatening the existence of major multi-million dollar organizations like, you know, Golden State Baptist College. West Coast Baptist College, First Baptist Church of Hammond, Hiles Anderson College, Bob Jones University. And so, you know, when guys making that much money and organizations making that much money are start getting backed into a corner, um, you know, it's very possible that there could be a lawsuit. Again, that'll be really great for marketing, um, but not so much great for my uh, my personal uh, my personal health and and happiness. I've already got my bags packed, and this uh, most of this is preacher boys right here. But uh, but uh, no, it's it's we'll see what happens as far as that goes. Um, but I I've been I've been talking to lawyers and stuff, just you know, on and off, um, not not a crazy amount, but just on and off, saying, hey, I have this episode coming up. You know, um, like my disclaimer at the beginning of my show was part of advice from from a lawyer, you know, and, you know, it, it really is like there's, uh, again, anybody can file a, 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 you know, say I was doing something illegal and try to take me to court and do that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, like it's that risk really, you know, maybe I'm just being ignorant, but that risk to me is worth the possibility of some of these places shutting down. Like if I, if I could see, if I could see Hiles Anderson shut its doors in my lifetime because of this Rico lawsuit and because of all the negative press, like that would be worth any kind of lawsuit that would be brought against me or any kind of, you know, negative, you know, spearing. And, and honestly, the way these guys work, I think it's more likely I'm just going to get smeared by somebody if I'm not already. I know for a fact that, you know, the West Coast episode circled West Coast because um, the dean of men there accidentally liked a tweet about it. Um, but and I, and I know and I know that the numbers of people that listened in that time span kind of matches a lot of the size of the college. So it's it's one of those things where. I can piece together. I I know that it's happening. I know people are talking about it. Um, you know. But at the end of the day, like I'm not pursuing like some kind of attention by like getting sued or something like I if I could put this out and everyone would be super happy. We're like, oh, there's abuse. Let's end it. And, you know, it's all good. That, that would be great. Right there. But uh, but I do have to be realistic. Like that is a risk. Um, and, um, you know, that is definitely something that I I went to this thing like it's very likely that at some point there will be some kind of legal ramification. And, um We'll see. I mean, 
if that happens, I joked in my group, if that happens, I'll start pushing my Patreon a little bit more. But, uh, but yeah, that's, the that's pretty much so. never goes hard, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. So, but, uh, well, um, do you have any advice for uh, people that are in the independent fundamental Baptist community right now that might be listening to it? I know you said that um, you probably a lot of the West Coast Baptist uh, students heard about it. Uh, right. So that's piqued some interest. Do you have any advice for those people? Yeah, you know what? I mean, I want to say this first of all, and and just because speaking to that audience, you know, there's there's a there's a big sense of. <sighs> In the in the IFB, and I'm hoping that they haven't tuned out already. Uh, you know, and I I am saying this sincerely. In the IFB, there is a lot of tribalism, and I say that as someone who grew up in the IFB, I saw the tribalism of it. I saw the you know defensiveness of your movement. And you know, if you're listening to this near in that movement, I understand where you're coming from. I understand that you feel threatened. I understand that you feel that the gospel's under attack by what I'm doing. You you think that, you know, the men of God that inspired you, maybe that they've signed your Bible, maybe they've, you know, maybe you've read all their books or their devotionals, maybe you've attended their colleges and you feel that I'm attacking them, you know, just because I'm bitter or any of the things that have been attributed to guys who are doing the things that I'm doing. And all I want to say is this is, you know, there's nobody that wishes that these stories weren't true more than me. I, I spent a lot of time in this movement. Um, you know, one of the people that um, I was closest to in, you know, my entire life um, is in this movement. Um, I have family in this movement. I have um, close friends um, in this movement all over the U S like I've, I, I have a lot of connections within this world and you know, I wish there was a, you know, a clear proof that none of this stuff was true. Um, I wish that, um, you know, I, I, I just wish, like, even just beyond that, even beyond the personal connection, I wish that nobody had been abused. I wish that nobody had experienced physical, mental, spiritual, sexual abuse within these churches. But the truth is the facts are there. And, and you know, the stories are there. The, the, the legal evidence is there. Um, for these things. And so if it wasn't true, I wouldn't be doing this, first of all. And second of all, I want to say that, uh, you know, I just want to say be aware, like, be aware of the fact that, you know, not everything to you might look bad, but for someone else, it could have been hell being inside the movement. Um, For you, you might be under the pastor's wing. They might be really kind to you. They might be really gentle and, and generous to you. The stories about Jack Hiles are so positive from people who were close to him, who were in his friend circle. But for people who weren't, they have like horrific stories. Same with Jack Scott. Jack Scott was beloved by everybody. And he was taking advantage of, and, and this is not something I'm just saying. This isn't a rumor. Like this is a legal case that, went he's in prison right now um nobody knew that nobody saw that nobody expected that and so you know fact check what i'm saying you know communicate with the colleges ask like listen to one of my episodes take it to somebody at your college and say hey is this true i heard this and listen for good answers and clear answers and you know just have an open mind um anybody who's listened to the show knows i'm not just making broad brush attacks to go after anybody and everybody like 
I'm trying to be very specific and strategic and point out the bad and admit that, yes, there is some good out there, but it's the minority. It's the people who are truly independent, like I said before. It's by the door. A lot of times it's the corrupt leadership that's the problem and not the actual members of the church. And so while I see a lot of good people and have been around a huge amount of wonderful Christians that are in that movement, they're just blinded because, you know, they've been to that church since it's opened its doors. They've been there 30 years. Why are we moving? And we're just kind of blind eye to anything we don't like. Right. And even beyond that, like it's hard, it is hard to believe. Like it's, it's, um, you know, I, I told someone uh, the other day and I grew up in a super, like I've said this every episode, I grew up in a super tame version of this. And most of the negative I saw was at other churches I would visit leaving my church. So, you know, did it have its own problem? Sure. But I will say this, like, it's just the reality of, I grew up seven days a week at one place. All of my absolute worst memories are at that place and all of my absolute best memories of childhood are there because I spent all of my time there. So you're going to have the youth pastor that you have a negative story about. You probably had a great camping trip with him. You probably had a great, you know, a great teen activity night or with an elder pastor, you probably heard him speak amazingly at a conference and, you know, you had a great experience there. You're it doesn't mean that you didn't have good experiences. It means that there's a, there's more to the picture than just what you experienced. And there's more to the picture than what you can see. And again, there's nobody that wishes these stories were not true. And they were all lies than me. Like, I wish I could look back and say, I grew up in a totally normal denomination. Nothing ever weird happened there. I don't feel ashamed of any of the things that I have on my Facebook that I posted that were super offensive looking back. And, you know, I wish I could say that stuff, but the truth is, I was completely bought in. I didn't know any better. I, I'm not going to blame myself, but I am going to say I do see some truth and facts laid out now. I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to change the way that I think about things, adjust my worldview a little bit, and try to be a better person and encourage people to be better people as well. Like encourage – if an IFP pastor wants to be an IFP pastor, be an IFP pastor. But you know what? Protect the vulnerable people in your church um, and love on your community and and genuinely care for people rather than caring for the opinion of some leader in your movement you know like really just be truly independent and be a good person right that, that's the basic it's not some spiritual mandate or you know well i could argue it is a spiritual mandate it's not some you know big theological it's just be a decent human being and well, be, a, be a voice for the voiceless you know yeah Absolutely. Well, that is that is all fantastic information, and um, I know we've been on here for about forty five minutes, but uh, it's been fantastic. Um, Anyone who listens to my show knows they're going to go for like an hour and a half, so so this is pretty short. (laughs) Well, I um, I could go on and on and on about the things. I I went to Crown College uh, at Park Temple Baptist Church here in uh, Powell, Tennessee. Uh, with Clarence Sexton, and so um, I'm not aware of any abuse that happened there, uh, but it still has that same authoritarian-style leadership, and you you have a racist old white man up in the the pulpit who's... (laughs) You see the things like the Keith Gomez, which uh, I wanted to bring up, 
um, because uh, I know you had posted an actual video from somebody else where he was saying those things. Yeah. Um, no, I did. I, I posted from uh, IFB uh, Preacher Clips. Um, it's at Fake Sermon on Twitter. And um, I had actually – they sometimes they send me clips and say, hey, if you want to use this and stuff. So I had created a, a compilation of some of the things he had said, uh, added a little bit of commentary, and um, they actually filed a copyright claim uh, on their own sermon. Um, which is kind of interesting, but um, but yeah, so so that was a pretty interesting situation. I'm actually disputing that right now, so I'm working through that. Um, but yeah, it's that's another thing too. Is like, the, and this feeds really into not to not to drag this question on, but it's oh, one yeah. of those things where like your perspective might be different from someone else's. Um, when I had a friend from Kentucky do it, and he said, you know, my parents put me in private school, so I wouldn't have to go to school with, like, black kids, and that was the main reason they put me in Christian school. I was like, well, that's different than California, where, like, I was the minority as a white guy. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a very, you know, that. but again, it doesn't discredit his experience. It's just yeah. he had a different layer on top of it, but we also shared a lot of similarities. So, you know, some may have more, some may have less. It doesn't discredit anybody else's story. It doesn't discredit your experience. It doesn't mean that because his church was racist, my church is racist or anything like that. It just means that, you know, you have to take into account what's the theological or, you know, practical mindset that's allowed this kind of stuff to happen. Absolutely. And there, there's always a root cause. And a lot of times that goes back to, you know, Jack Hiles and, and his teachings. Um, and yeah. then even further back with, you know, the roll offs and, you know, where the roots of the fundamentalism. Yeah. Which, which it surprises some people, but like I wasn't familiar with the role. I knew the name Lester Roloff, and that's it. I didn't know anything about Lester Roloff. I didn't know anything about the homes that he had set up at all until doing this project. Oh. Um, that's something uh, on the West Coast, like that's something that. It was totally something that happened in a totally different area than me, but his influence is widespread. Like he's got tons of places that are still acting in accordance with the stuff that he taught. And I've interviewed survivors of his programs on my show. And it's, there's some shocking stuff about that. And again, it, it's just another layer and you see him connected to people that I am familiar with. And it's like all the puzzle pieces start falling into place. And, um, you know, you start seeing again that kind of interconnectivity with all these places. Yeah. And, and that's what's so sad is that they are so interconnected because, right. but they claim to be so independent. Like we said earlier, they're independent and they're fundamental. And, and, and to be honest, that's fundamentally wrong because you are so interconnected. You're basically a sect or a yeah. uh, religious entity of your own. Right. Exactly. Uh, made. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, again, you have Spiritual Leadership Conference in Lancaster where they all assemble. You have – and um, Awake America is literally a um, coalition of independent Baptist pastors. And so if you're truly independent, it would seem like you would allow Southern Baptist pastors or – you know, it, it, you're specifically allotting a designation to your denomination while also maintaining this isn't a denomination. And so yeah, you got to pick a side, you know. You can't, what is it, the old saying, can't have the cake eat it too. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Right. Well, well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, uh, I posted a couple of links in, in the um, description uh, with your website uh, and uh, links to your podcast. So if anybody on my page would like to uh, follow him and his 
uh, information. There's a lot of interesting stuff. I listen to it every time one comes out now. Um, so it's wonderful. You're on Spotify and iTunes, I think Spotify. it is. Yeah, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere that connects to an RSS feed, you can download it. I'm also on Pandora. Um, and uh, yeah, and you can listen on PreacherBoysDoc.com as well, which is just the website. So um, any of those places – Dude, live streams are so nerve-wracking. Um, I'm so glad I ended my show. I'm so glad I, I was like trying to figure this thing out. So, but uh, but yeah, hopefully it was a good conversation. I and gives a little bit of clarity into what I'm doing. Um, and you know, appreciate you asking some really good questions about what I'm doing, and um, you know, giving me a chance to uh, I guess uh, share my perspective because I feel like sometimes I've got some perspectives I want to share, but it's uh, it's not really the format on mine. So I like getting on getting to talk about myself a little bit, which is, which is exciting. Well, who doesn't like talking about themselves? Right, exactly. <laughs> a little, I still have a little bit of the IFB ego, you know, I like to, I like to share, but, but no, I, I, uh, it, it is, it, it's nice to be able to share my motivation is really the main thing is, is there are people who think I'm just truly hateful and bitter and angry. And I hope people get the vibe that that's not the case. And I hope that doesn't become the case. I try to be very careful not to, uh, you know, not to be doing stuff just because I'm angry, but do stuff because, you know, it's the right thing to do and uh, make sure that it's, you know, really pointing out something that needs to be pointed out. So appreciate the chance to get to share that. Absolutely. Well, it was wonderful talking to you. Uh, we'll go ahead and sign off for today. Thank you guys so much for watching with us and talking to us. Um, like I said, reach out to either one of us. We're absolutely open to questions or comments. I'm sure either one of us could address a future episode on either end. Um, but Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes, and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.